Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Everybody, welcome to episode 163 of Common Law Word Nerds. Tonight's show is Common Law Shamanism with JC and the Shaman. We do uh, these shows, these Q&A calls, three times a week uh, on various topics. Always at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. And uh, my name is Gus. I'm, I'm from redressfordummies.org. And today is September 12, 2018. Um, there's an email list if you wish to email me at grayersk uh, at gmail.com. And I'll, I'll add your name to the email list for invitations to various calls. But uh, tonight we're going to have uh, tonight JC and the Shaman here. And on Wednesday nights, we cover common law, natural law. JC leads us through that. And then uh, Shaman comes back on Saturday to lead us through a Bible study to tie it all together. Uh, we're going to be on um, Angela's call tomorrow night. That's Talk Shoot 39904, I believe. And um, I think that's all for announcements for, for this week. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to JC and the Shaman, and we'll uh, get rolling. Hey guys, what's up? <clears throat> Glad you could join us tonight. Uh, as you know, I kind of lead the charge on Saturday, so JC kind of leads the Wednesday. So um, tonight I think we're going to just do some Q&A, and then we're going to have a guest speaker later on. So uh, with that, I'll turn it over to JC. Hello, everybody. <clears throat> so I've had a uh, very interesting week this week. Um, there's been a lot going on today, so I would just ask that everybody pray for Baba and his family because, uh, things are really heating up, and, um, other than that, I got a couple of announcements to make. If anybody goes to the statutes versus common law and attorney's obligation, it's, um, on the Just Conspiracy channel. And uh, somebody commented this afternoon with the contents of their comment and how they worded it and the language that they used. My best guess is that they are an attorney. And their comment was so good that I pinned it up and answered them, um, telling them basically that I hope to continue the debate and inviting them onto the show if they would like to do it in lifetime because they're so intelligent. Um, so that would uh, that would be really, really entertaining if, if he takes up on that um, offer. I hope he does. And um, then besides that, just one more announcement. If you go to jcshamanandbaba.com and you go to the donation page, there's an audio up there that you will only hear on the uh, JC 
shamanandbaba.com page. And in the future, there's going to be content that is only on that page that you will not find on YouTube or talk to you or anywhere else uh, for that matter. So, um, you know, we figured out. I'm still trying to learn how to manage the page, but I figured out how to get audios up on there and obviously videos, and um, there's going to be more to come on that. So with that, I guess, does anybody have any questions? Hey, I just thought I'd let you know you're getting stepped on with some background noise. Okay, I, I don't know what to do about that. I don't have any background noise from over here, and I don't hear anything. So, uh, Matt, who was on last week, um, he's working right now, and he should be able to get on to the show around 10 o'clock. He actually, uh, when I was talking with him, he took it upon himself to go ahead and do a title search on the properties in question for Henry Ramo. And uh, there were some questions that I saw on the chat board last week um, that we'll go into, but that will be at 10 o'clock. So up until Matt gets off of work, uh, we kind of just decided to go ahead and more or less have an open forum. Sounds good. Hey, if I Sorry, I was uh, muted out. I was talking about whoever was making all that noise, but um, you guys couldn't hear me. Go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, yeah, no, no worries. No, I. Um, it's a great thing you got Matt on because that's uh, one of my uh, interests. I, I, I assisted a, a property investor in Hawaii um, a few weekends out of the month on uh, doing searches for properties on, you know, basically mortgages and whatnot. But my interest is in, you know, when I finally do acquire something that's, uh, you know, rights to land, you know, how could you best set yourself up for success when you're recording that type of information so you keep everybody off your back, more or less? That would be like my main interest in uh, what you could share, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, like uh, that does make sense. And I don't know how much uh, Matt's going to know about that because obviously he works in the legal statutory realm of title searches and he's pretty much um, – you know, he would know all of the, because I'm guessing that you're thinking of how to maybe get out of property tax. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, sure, to a point, but the main thing is just, uh, you know, for instance, I just bought my first house. It's in an association. Can't wait to sell it and get something that's a few streets down where it's like a normal suburban neighborhood. And um, more or less just, you know, yeah, ensuring that I am the only man that would 
be able to have a proper claim to the land and then do as I wish from that point on. Yeah, and that's, um, like, so if I understand you properly, basically that's uh, what a clear title is. And so a clear title is basically, and this is why people do title searches, um, because a clear title, a lot of people think that because when you get a car, you get a title to that car. And when you buy property or a house or something in that nature, you get a deed. And, for instance, like if you're in an HOA, you know, Homeowners Association, uh, it's really kind of interesting because quite technically the Homeowners Association uh, has jurisdiction, like original jurisdiction and power and authority over the property. And that's why they can set rules and terms and conditions that can really be kind of a pain in the A to the to the property owner. Um, Boy, so, you ain't kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, you know, if you're not in some place that has a uh, homeowner's association, then as long as you get a clear title, and that basically just means it's not a piece of paper that you get, but it, it just says that, through the documents and the public records, uh, nobody and nobody's heirs or, you know, um, inheritors or anything like that can come back with any claim. Like, no one uh, can come back with any claim to the title of the property. So it's more or less a conceptualized idea, but, of course, it's backed up with documentation. So, for instance, like somebody who never had any interest or a deed or was ever heir to uh, to someone um, who owned the property, they they would have no title to come back and make any type of claim because they couldn't document it at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, to an extent. Thanks a lot. I'll, I'll definitely go back and revisit that. I'm half all asleep right now. I got class early in the morning, so I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, mainly in my situation, I, I guess I can't wait to sell the place because it comes at too high of a cost. It's a really nice place to be in, very modest, um, but it comes at too high of a cost. I mean, every other week I'm getting a letter in the box for something stupid. So, but, Yeah. I mean, one thing is Hawaii is really expensive, um, just kind of right off the bat. And then I could imagine that uh, if you're in some type of homeowners association, they could probably be sticklers and they want to fine you for, you know, everything from your grass being a quarter of an inch too high to, you know, uh, just some scrap wood that you leave outside while you're remodeling the inside. Um you know, they can really be pains about stuff like that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the islands. I mean, you can't get, you can't go anywhere, basically on at least Oahu without, you know, dealing with HOAs. But I'm not, I'm not at Hawaii anymore. I've come back to Florida. And, um, hey, 
I never would have thought I'd be living where I'm at right now, but hey, I guess stranger things have happened. Hey, thanks again, man. I'm going to probably nod out here. I'll, I'll listen in and out. Uh, that's cool, man. Thanks for uh, coming out tonight and having a question and participating. We appreciate it. Likewise. So is there anyone else with uh with a question? Hey guys, just a heads up. If you've got a question, please uh go ahead and just cut me cut in, you know, whenever. Um there's uh there's uh I don't know if Erica is on the line, but if, if you're on Erica, star six to unmute if you need to ask a question. Um as a as a heads up for anybody who just tuned in, JC's got a YouTube channel called uh, Just Conspiracy, and uh, no, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, we're on um, Angela's call tomorrow night. Talk to you three nine nine zero four. You can catch. Uh, well, I'm not. I'll be there, but JC and the Sharman are on that show tomorrow night. You guys hit star six to unmute yourself or uh, star two to raise your hand if you're having a hard time. Hey, I got a question, JC. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, this is Eric. Um, this week on the uh, WhatsApp group, um, there was some discussion about, uh, like, if you have a conviction and there is a a jury trial as opposed to a trial by jury um like what is the difference between the two and what are the steps to take if you want to correct that so that uh you know like because you know my take was that a a trial by jury is different than a jury trial so maybe if you could ex explain that and explain that if you get like convicted by a jury if you have a jury trial then do you is there some kind of an appeals process that you have to go through or do you can you go straight to the original court of record to correct that how does that work um well really it depends on um it depends on a whole lot of variables. So since that's a generalized question, I'm going to kind of give a generalized answer. A uh, jury trial is different from a trial by jury. Most states, in fact, I don't know of one state that has a trial by jury uh, for criminal statutory um, I uh, forget the word, but basically for criminal statutory charges. And uh, so, like a jury trial, the jury describes the type of trial. So the trial, still moving under the state procedures, just has a jury to perform it rather than uh, the judge. But the judge is still in control of the entire thing. He can direct the jury however he wishes. For instance, if anybody's ever been in a jury trial, um, there's something like a preliminary hearing or precipice day or a pre-trial hearing, 
and basically that's where the parties go in and make motions and set up how the trial is going to go. In a jury trial, the judge can absolutely have complete authority over what evidence is allowed to be presented, what arguments are allowed to be argued, um, what you're basically allowed to say and not say. And in a uh, trial by jury, uh, the trial describes the jury, which basically means that, that the jury is in complete control the uh, the judge or the magistrate has absolutely nothing to do with the entire trial except to sit back and watch the verdict of the jury. There are no limitations on the evidence and the arguments that can be presented. And in fact, like the next uh, video that I'm going to come out with tomorrow, and I was hoping to have it out this afternoon, but uh, again. I've been dealing with a lot of things that I would ask everybody to pray for the Ramo family on. Um, but it deals with uh, a jury trial and an act common law action and actually goes back through some of the case law and some old code to show unequivocally that uh, the jury used to have the right, I mean, even up to the 1900s, okay, the jury had the right to decide issues of facts and law. Um, <clears throat> so, <it's, clears throat> basically, if you're convicted by a jury, there, there are a couple of things that come into play. A, if you have an attorney or don't have an attorney, because even though what you did might not have been unlawful, if you had an attorney, then you submitted to the jurisdiction, and now you've signed into the statutory instrument, which is quite literally a contract. So that's the part that makes it lawful. Um, that's how they get a dually conviction on, on a lot of or most of the statutory uh, offenses that they charge today is because people go and get an attorney and if you don't get an attorney, then they'll force an attorney upon you. In fact, it's quite interesting because the audio that I was talking about, where I was talking with the high clerk, she said that, because I, I told her that I was going to be there to aid and assist, you know, a man. And she said, well, are you an attorney? No, I'm not. Well, if you're not an attorney, then, you know, the judge is going to absolutely not allow you to aid and assist in any kind of way. Well, if you go to uh, the Sixth Amendment, it does not say that you have a right to an attorney. It says that you have the right to counsel because way back before uh, they started coming up with all of these statutory systems, and the main reason why they give people an attorney uh, for statutory offenses is to get that jurisdiction and that consent, and that's why they force an attorney on people that don't even want one today, is because that's the only way that the court can, in any kind of way, show that they have jurisdiction. So if you get a conviction while you have an attorney, it is incredibly difficult. And 
I'm sure that it's possible, but I've never actually done anything like that. So everything that I could offer up would be in the realm of theory and not, you know, like I would actually know that this works or has worked before. Now, if you do not have an attorney and you get a statutory conviction from a jury, then it's qualified legally, but it's not qualified lawfully. And more or less, you got to challenge the actual order because even though they'll, they'll write up this piece of paper and they'll make it look pretty legitimate and some guy who wears a black robe will throw a mark on it, that does not make it a lawful order. And so you have to see procedurally where the order is defected. And so there's another reason why I can't really go into the answer. It's kind of like the show the other week where we were talking about orders and how to get an order listed. And that's something where it takes time to actually go through the paperwork and see what they did and what they did not do. But um, in cases where you don't have an attorney and they can't get you to say that you're pro se or representing the person, there is always a defect. I've never seen something without a defect at that point. Uh, one of the things, because I know what you're talking about in the WhatsApp group, so, and uh, somebody was basically saying that the appellant court is there for questions of law and uh, the facts are already on the record. And that is true most of the time. But for instance, there have been a lot of people who have been set free. Uh, there have been cases I know of in Texas where the police department back in the late 80s, early 90s, falsified DNA evidence to secure a conviction. And of course, when they realized that the evidence was falsified, they, even though it was way past time to appeal, they took it back and they introduced new facts into the case that were accepted by the appellant court. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different variances and different things that could be going on, and this is why the facts of the case and the like how the paperwork is is very important when answering these types of questions. But as a general answer, uh, is that pretty understandable? Is there anything yeah. that you want more clarification on? Yeah, so, okay, the, one of the first things you said is, um, so I guess the question that came out of one of the first things you said is, so can a criminal trial be a trial by jury? Can you actually get that, or is that just totally impossible? Um, okay, so a criminal trial, if you get a trial by jury, in a criminal case in any state in the United States today or within the uh, federal jurisdiction, 
they'll call it a trial by jury, but it's absolutely a statutory definition, and it is quite literally a jury trial. And in my research for doing, um, you know, this jury stuff, and I, I did not go into this case at all because, uh, you know, it would have taken up the entire time. But basically, just the difference between a jury trial and a trial by jury was the issue of fact in an appellant court in South Carolina in 1843, I think. And it goes very, very in-depth and in detail as to what the difference between a trial by jury and a jury trial and the state court and this court and all of these really, really small things. And I know that for instance, like uh, I believe one of the last times you were on, you were talking about the difference between the court and this court. Um, so it, it really goes into detail on all of those, what most people would consider semantics, but they're going into extreme detail because that's exactly what they're ruling on. So even back then, they knew the difference between a jury trial and a trial by jury. The only way that you can have a trial by jury is if the state does not swear, like have the jury swear to uphold the statutes of the state, which of course they're going to tell them are laws. So typically whenever you're in a jury trial, uh, the jury is sworn in and they swear under oath or affirmation to uphold the statutes or the laws of the particular state in question. And that's more or less how they're going to secure a conviction every time. And if you don't swear in, then they're going to dismiss you from the jury. Wow, that's huge right there. That's a, that's amazing information. Um, so uh, I guess the next question would be, how does a plea deal different differ from a conviction by a jury trial? Like, is, okay. is it easier to fix? Well, it depends on what the contract says. Okay, so I'm just going to use Ride Class as an example here because he won a Supreme Court case. Well, he didn't win it. His team of attorneys won it. He, he literally had four attorneys and five paralegals um, arguing his case to the Supreme Court. Well, there was only one attorney actually arguing, but four attorneys worked on it and five paralegals. And uh, basically what happened was that, uh, I'll give you the facts of the case first. So what happened was he went to Washington, D.C. to uh, have a meeting with one of his representatives, and when he came out to his car, it was surrounded by D.C. police, <clears throat> and more or less they forced him to open the glove box. The glove box was locked, and he had a handgun in there, which is a crime in, you know, within the vicinity of the United States, otherwise known as Washington, D.C. And so they arrested him on federal charges for having, you know, an un or an illegal firearm, you know, on the premise of the state capitol buildings. And uh, so he didn't show up to court the first time. They sent out a warrant for his arrest for non-appearance. 
And then he uh, negotiated a plea deal in which they dropped the the charge for not showing up to court, the non-appearance charge, and he pled guilty to the handgun. Well, in this deal, uh, he did not expressly waive his constitutional rights, okay? So, and I don't know how many plea deals you've seen go on in court, but really, they're always like, you know you're waiving your rights. Do you know you're waiving your constitutional rights? Do you know they have to go through everything that you're waiving in that plea deal and get your consent, okay, and get you to verify it on the record of the court. And so um, he did not specifically waive his constitutional rights. Uh, typically, they always get you to waive your right to appeal, but he was appealing on the constitutionality under the Second Amendment. And, of course, the appellant court court wouldn't hear it because they said you waived your right to appeal, you made a plea deal. And so it went to the Supreme Court, and the entire argument was he did not specifically waive his constitutional rights. It was a very, very interesting case to hear. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but the, they straight said, because uh, when the Supreme Court justices were asking the uh, respondent from the government, which, you know, was the government's attorney, and he's responding to the petitioner, which would have been Rod Class and his team of attorneys, um, but they said, well, why didn't you just write into the plea agreement for him to waive his constitutional rights? which they could have done. And he said that, you know, in certain jurisdictions, certain federal judges go under this case law, so they won't honor a plea agreement, like they won't accept the plea agreement because a judge does not have to accept a plea agreement from you, okay? Like a judge can deny the acceptance of a plea agreement. So he was saying that in certain jurisdictions, they don't allow us to more or less put this in the plea agreement because of this case law. And in other jurisdictions, they don't allow us to put this in the plea agreement because of this case law. And it was hilarious because the justice comes right out and says, so basically you're telling me the reason why you didn't do it is because you have way too much power to coerce descendants into plea agreements. Like, boom, and this wow. is coming from a Supreme Court justice of the United States. <laughs> so, it, yeah, so it really depends on what is written in the plea agreement, how the plea agreement is worded, and then again, it is how hard are you going to fight it? Because, of course, there's always recension but recension isn't always recognized. Um, so, you know, that that then again goes into what's written in the plea agreement. It did, did you waive that right? Did you do it consciously and of your own free will? And, hey, look, even if you do all of that stuff, you know, you can still say, I was high and out of my mind. <laughs> well, we asked you if you were high and out of your mind when – when you signed the deal or made the agreement, 
Yeah, but I was too high to realize I was out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you can I guess you can always say that you're, you know, they said my attorney said if I don't do this, they're going to do this to me. And I didn't want to get, you know. So I mean, I know that's kind of a weak thing under threat or duress or whatever, but no it isn't. No, that's not yeah. weak at all. I mean, when they whenever they get a plea agreement, man, they go through a list of questions a mile long. They ask if you consented, if you were aware, if you understand. Are you sure you understand? Nobody coerced you. Nobody threatened you. Are you sure you understand? You're giving away your rights. You're waving your right to this. You're waving your right to that. I mean, they're pretty thorough, and they do that every single time. So it's got to be pretty important, you know? Yeah, right. and the other thing, Eric, is that you can absolutely use the fact that your attorney coerced you, but everybody who tells us that, the first thing we say is, do you have a recording of it? Right. And so you got to have a recording of it if you expect it to have any type of ground or validity. Gotcha. Because otherwise it's just everyday normal business. And it's also hearsay. Yeah. Like it's absolutely. not, it's your word against theirs, you know, it's like, yeah. So you got to, that's one thing that we work with a lot of people, man. They have really got to start recording everything, everything. And, and plus the attorney doesn't have to answer when you accuse them of a crime. No, so right, you exactly. Okay, you, you uh, coerced anything after that. Like, the moment you accuse him of a crime, he has the right to remain silent. And that's yeah, so typical when you guys are writing. That's typical when you guys are writing letters, too. Like, we've known a lot of people to write letters to a judge or to an attorney or to a cop with all these accusatory things, and they're like, man, we can't get them to respond to us. We can't get them to respond to us. It's like, would you respond to us? I accused you of a bunch of stuff. You have a right to remain silent, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're not going to answer you, man. They're not going to answer you. So I guess the way to go that. about it is, is just say, hey, there was a mistake. I didn't understand. I thought I did, but I, I didn't. You know, there, it, you know this. I it, there was not full disclosure. I didn't believe there was no meeting of the minds because I thought that this was going to be different than it was. Now be careful not to ease into defend or qualifying or defending. Just say you don't understand. Let them qualify right. why you didn't. You know, you can throw in there certain things, but be careful when you start when you start adding sentences, man, it, you know what I'm saying? You start moving into ambiguity. You start moving into every word you add to a piece of paper gives the other side a little bit more rope to try to tie you up. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're testifying against yourself, basically, and they can use it against you. <clears throat> well, it's just like if somebody engages you on anything, you know, you you don't defend yourself if there's nothing to defend. If somebody's just railing things or if uh, you've been, you know, let's say you went through a situation like you just said, Either where you realize, oh, I thought I understood. You can correct the record, absolutely, and do things like rescind signatures, 
you can challenge jurisdiction at any time. But you don't you don't necessarily do that by I don't know if you saw what I wrote today, always you know, we've always talked about this, always ask the question you wish they'd asked, not the one that they did. A lot Absolutely. of times yeah, you've I, heard I JC <clears throat> you know, you've heard J C say many times what you do is you start out really sweet and you ask a little simple question, you go to a simple question, then you move to another simple question. And you're like going all the way around the mulberry bush. And by the time you get to the point where you really want to ask the other question, they've already answered it six times, you know, six different ways and didn't realize it. And then when you present it the right way, they're like, "Uh oh, trip them up. You got to be a little strategic, you know. Yeah, and another thing with that strategic is a lot of times when you ask questions, they answer but they answer without answering. And if you really want to trip them up, you got to catch them and that answer that's not an answer. Uh, it's, you can't take an ambiguous answer. So if you have a yes or no questions like, hey, are you going to violate my rights? Of course I wouldn't do that. Uh, my question. Of course you wouldn't do that on Tuesday or... Of course, you wouldn't do that on Sunday when you're when you don't have to work, or of course you wouldn't do that on vacation. That's very ambiguous. Are you going to violate my rights? Yes or no? I was just thinking about you wouldn't lie to me, would you? Well, not most of the time. <laughs> Are you lying right now? No. That's actually a real live uh, thing that that Sean's talking about, or Shaman's talking about. Um, There was a man getting an attorney forced upon him, and so we had questions for him to ask the attorney. So he asked the attorney, uh, if I asked you a question uh, in law, do you have to... No, if I ask you a legal question, do you have to answer answer me honestly? And he goes, well, I generally tell the truth. If I answer you or if I ask you a question in law, will you answer me honestly? Of course. Well, is this one of those general times you're telling the truth or is it one of those non-general times you're lying? And it goes, look, and this and this works in reverse, too. It's like when they start, I mean, we talk about this all the time when you go into a court. It's like, it's just like having a conversation with your kid or your girlfriend and you're asking a simple question. Um, like, what what's on your mind? Nothing. And you have to go down this list of, I have to do this with my wife when she really doesn't want to tell me something. Like, I have to hit Every single, like, sometimes I literally will write down words and come to her and say, okay, is this word applicable or how about all these? So I can get to the exact sentence because she won't lie to me. So I have to hit it right on the nose and forget it. And they do the same thing to you. They use ambiguity to get you in. Hey, you, sit down. Hey, you, come here. Uh, Hey, Mr. Smith. Hey, um you know it's they're always fishing they're always leading they're always dancing 
Yeah. That's why the answer is not studying 50,000 things they do or, or losing yourself in the rabbit trail of what if, what if, what if. It's so easy to get locked. I got locked into that one night, and uh, I was trying to cover every base I could because I'm analytical as hell. And uh, JC's like, dude, you know this. Just you can't what if it, man. I'm like, you're right. And uh, just study who you are. Know who you are. Know thyself, right? If you're a man, you're really man, really. Are you going to answer to you, mister? Or if you're really man and they have no authority, are you going to sit down when they tell you to? Are you going to stand up when they tell you to? The judge knows he has no authority over man. You know he has no authority over man. So if you start doing what he tells you, apparently you're not man. And I would say most of the time, the threats are hollow. Most of the time. Obviously, if you go to Henderson County, that's not political. <laughs> but most of the time when they start that, I mean, I had a federal judge screaming at me across the courtroom, and he didn't mean it. It was only going to be a political if I let it be. He ended up being actually being pretty cool. Hey, uh, and just, just to hey, uh, reinforce what Shaman was saying right there, when we were actually doing the research and digging through the files over the past five years looking for other people who have been held in criminal contempt, okay, we could only find one file at that courthouse, and it was basically for violating probation. Like, that's how rare getting held in criminal contempt actually is. Wow. Hey, JC, there's a lady on the phone who's in North Carolina, uh, about four hours from Henderson County who um, who uh, has a plea deal, and she's got uh, some stuff she wanted. I was talking to her today, she, and I told her to call in tonight because uh, it's not very complex, but, uh, well, I mean, it's pretty standard. But uh, like you're saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things that are written into the agreement, what's, you know, agreed upon and so on. And I don't know. I haven't seen the agreement, so I don't know if it was stamped by the clerk. I don't know, you know, anything. We just started talking. But she's on the call. Eric, are, are you there? Star six to unmute yourself if uh, if you're trying to talk. She may she may be a little guarded. Yeah, that's Hello. fine. Hey, Erica. Hi, Erica. Uh, Hi. Hey, how's it going? going? What's going on with you in North Carolina? If you can just tell tell JC and Shaman what you told me this afternoon. Unless you want to keep it private, that's up to you. So, a couple of years ago, I took a plea deal for some that I was able to plead down some very serious charges to a lesser uh, felony offense. Originally, the charges were uh, a level, and I was able to down to their age level. Um, my only uh, condition for probation, I served no active uh, prison time 
my only condition was uh, no contact from one of the other parties and adhere uh, to the rules of probation. And in eight days away from completing probation, and it's been a very stressful at least 18 months, if not 33 months, of jumping through their hoops and making sure that, you know, I got all my eyes across all my have a problem with a travel order that's by a judge. I um, trauma of the arrest and the plea and being on probation, I ended up getting uh, cancer and uh, probation is useful at making treatment out of state. So I ended up having to see three travel orders. My last one was pretty lenient and they called me in on Sunday and said they would like to discuss it with me because they don't like it. Meanwhile, it's about six to eight weeks after, I'm sorry, it's about 10 weeks after uh, that travel order was issued. And like I said, I, I'm so close to being done. They've jerked me around a lot. They've you know, tried to get me in trouble before. And I have a feeling when I walk in uh, to this meeting that they want to violate me, even though there's no cause, they'll, they'll say that there was cause. Okay, when's this meeting? It's supposed to be tomorrow at uh, 4 o'clock. Did you okay. understand everything she said, JC? I, I mean, not everything, because there was, there was a lot of background yeah, I was, noise. I was having a hard time understanding her. I mean, and what I did understand was pretty vague, and I was more or less going to suggest, um, you know, getting together uh, probably off the air. Um, so if you're going in there tomorrow, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot to go over and learn. I mean, this isn't something that you can just, go and jump off a bridge or jump out of an airplane. Like, even when you're learning how to jump out of an airplane, you have to, uh, uh, you know, you have to tangent jump uh, three times before I think they'll let you jump by yourself. Um, so, you know, basically, we're getting something done by tomorrow, I think, is, a little unrealistic, uh, but we we could talk to you about it in private off of the show where it didn't have to be so ambiguous, and we might be able to give you some good ideas on how to handle yourself for tomorrow, um, and then just see what happens from there. In case you guys missed it, she's. I think she's meeting with probation tomorrow. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, I'll just keep listening to the rest of the show. And you, you, do you think they're going to violate you tomorrow? Um, I do think that, um, even though there's no cause. Um, so, I'm planning to utilize the hurricane that's hitting us. 
um, as reason not to meet, make that meeting. Uh, okay. I mean, and one thing is that the government offices might be shut down tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, what area of North Carolina is it? Um, I'm near the Fort Bragg area, so um, we're not a direct hit, but we'll certainly get um, some damage. Yeah, do you know if they've closed government offices? So they closed all the offices except for uh, first responders and Department of Safety, and I think uh, probation falls under the Department of Safety. Uh, no, the probation's going to fall under Department of Corrections. Okay. So I, I actually got a friend over here right now. He's going to look it up on the Internet. Fort Bragg. What, what is it? Where did you say? So uh, the the counties that would be affected would be uh, Hope County and uh, Cumberland County. No, what, where are you? Like, yeah, where do you have to go? What county office do you have to go to? Hoke County, H-O-K-E. Hoke County. Okay. I got somebody uh, looking it up on the Internet right now, and I'll probably have that answer for you here in just a minute. But uh, if all of the government offices are uh, put down, then... Um, then uh, Then, uh, <clears throat> then you probably won't have to go tomorrow. And I would just call them uh, sometime during the day. Are y'all having really bad storms? Uh, not that yet. The hurricane is coming. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if there's really bad storms, and and just to kind of put you at ease, uh, typically they they don't. They they don't normally just um, violate people on on probation unless they have a really big reason. And uh, over here, or they hate, somebody, or they absolutely hate you. Well, I it's the latter. They absolutely hate me. Do what? I said it is it is that they absolutely do not like me. Yeah, I mean, so, you need to be very cautious then, I'll tell you that, because if they don't like you, they, they could definitely look for any reason. I've had them do it to people I know here. Well, and another thing is I would probably give them a call and record it, give them a call in the morning. Uh, you know, my buddy just told me everything except the absolute essential emergency stuff is going to be closed. And... You know, probation officers are probably going to be on some type of emergency standby in case they have to help out in some type of. The probation office should be closed, but just call in the morning and make sure. Okay. 
great. I will do that. Hey, uh, Erica, what was the uh, what type of plea agreement did you take? Because I had never heard of that particular one. So it's called a note Alford, and that's um, essentially I maintain my innocence, but I refuse to admit um, that I'm guilty of anything that you're charging me with, but I'll, I'll subject myself to the punishment of the court. Thank you. You guys have any other questions for her before uh, somebody else jumps in? Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's basically something that should be taken care of in private. Yeah. In Maryland, it's the Division of Parole and Probation, Department of Public Safety and Correctional Services. All right. Anybody else have any uh, any other questions? Erica, if you think of something else you want to ask, just come back. Uh, if anybody else has got some questions, please jump in. Okay. It's uh, 10 minutes before 9 Central Time, 10 uh, Eastern, and Matt should be getting on with us pretty soon. So we've probably got 15 minutes to uh, of Q&A before Matt gets on the call to talk about title searches and, and the uh, things that him and JC have been talking about. Again, uh, JC's YouTube channel is um, Just Conspiracy. And JC, give the website again uh, with you, Sean and Baba. Uh, it's JC, Shaman, and Baba.com. And again, there's going to be uh, material on there that you're not going to find anywhere else, like ever since we put the documentary together. Um, like it was always more or less, we're going to publish certain audios on there so that people know that the audios coming from, um, you know, just the documentary, they weren't cut and sliced and taken out of context. Like, this is the way it really went. You can really go and listen to, you know, Thomas McAvoy Britton taking 20 minutes. I think it's like 14 or 15 minutes to decide to move forward. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there, there's some pretty good stuff that should be coming up there soon. And, of course, like with YouTube, I've already gotten a couple of uh, copyright marks. They they haven't gone to strikes yet. So, But with future videos that I will probably use copywritten material on, it will not be on YouTube. Um, so, you know, going to that site is going to give you access to more uh, more material. Like I said, we're still just learning how to use the site. So we just got our emails this morning to everybody <laughs> signed up. And just to let y'all know, only 10 people signed up so far. And I think that kind of shows 
Can you spell the Something name of your wrong. site, please? Say that again, Carl. I'm asking if uh, JC or uh, Shaman can uh, spell the name of that site. It was JC, spell Shaman and Baba, please. Okay, so it's JC, S H A M A N A N D B A B A. And if you're on the chat board, I can post up a link to it if you want. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm putting it on there right now. Hey, I'd like to ask a question. Go ahead. Okay. Um, if, you, if you had three minutes to sit down with Donald Trump, how would you explain or expose or... Uh, common law. Um, I can just go ahead and tell you this. Someone like Donald Trump either will not understand common law at all, or he already knows exactly what it is. Um, you can't explain something like this in three minutes. Um, what I can tell you is that every single senator and congressman that gets elected to the Congress or the Senate, they get a book called Analysis and Interpretations on the Constitution of the United States of America. That book is written by the Senate Armed Forces Committee. And of that book, I think it's 12.5 or 13% of the entire book on the Constitution is just focused on the 14th Amendment which is the amendment that makes you a citizen. Yeah, I would say it's safe to assume that Donald Trump knows the common law anyway. The way he maneuvers, the words he uses, I mean, the words he uses at his inaugural address, uh, you know, it's hard to be as big as him and not understand language. He deals internationally, man, they know. He uses the system to his advantage. Well, I was just asking because it's a possibility somebody I know would have a minute or three minutes with Donald Trump and wanted to say, he asked me, what can I give him? Where can I show him? And it's not written down. I understand that. So I was just thinking something I could maybe tell him to say to point it out. And the only thing so far I could give him written down was... uh, couple of articles of the Constitution where it talks about uh, law and equity and the 10 square miles. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you what. If you only have three minutes with them, tell them that there is a veteran in Henderson County, North Carolina, who they are completely running over his constitutional rights and the legal society and the sheriff and the high clerk are all in collusion trying to rob this man of his property for an unverified claim and bill and a false bill. And then you'll and then you'll see how much Donald Trump knows law or cares about it. 
Okay, is that too? Yeah, he's a Korean war, uh, war veteran. Okay, thanks. So, but absolutely everybody in the Senate and the Congress and the people in the upper levels, like the uh, governing personnel, including the president, and the upper levels of the federal government, they absolutely know what's really going on. Um, it's my opinion that they just try to act incompetent. Um, but really what's going on is that they're just getting paid to act incompetent so that when all of these rules and regulations go into force that are put into force by the corporations that put the bill for their um, financing of campaigns and other things like that, they can basically say, oh, well, I mean, and this is what the government does everywhere. They always say, it's not my job, it's their job. It's not my job, it's their job. It's not my job, it's their job. And they'll send you on a wild goose chase. Well, I hope something happens. I think it's I think it's going to happen. And I think we got judges in that pile of uh, sealed indictments. I think it is going to trickle down to a local level eventually. Yeah, and I think that the local level is probably the best place to start. Um, and that's basically why Shaman and I start doing what we've done is. Uh, to get the local scene going on, and that way if people start standing up locally and uh, slowing down or stopping the enforcement arm where people are getting their rights trampled on in the day-to-day going on of stuff, um, I, I think that that's going to be really, really important. And, you know, the revolution's not going to be televised so when this happens, they're, you know, they're not going to put it up on YouTube, on Google, on the mainstream media. It, you know, it's it's going to be an underground movement. which is one of the reasons why I believe it's really important that if people like the videos that they're seeing that are coming out, it is very important to share them, to call them to other people's attention, that you believe might like them or support them or get behind them, is because I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Facebook and, and Google and YouTube algorithm is not trying to push the videos that that I'm, I'm creating. <clears throat> if you're, um, if you're listening to this recording, you can go back into the chat that uh, that's being typed out as we speak, and you can find those links and uh, and other links, other things that are posted there. Um, in the in the chat messages. Again, we're going to be on Angela's call tomorrow night. 
at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, I believe it's 6 Pacific. Um, J well, JC and and, uh, and Sean are going to be there. Uh, I'll be joining them as well, and we're uh, we're waiting for Matt right now to show up and uh, and talk about uh, title searches. If you have a question, please uh, raise your hand, star two, or go ahead and unmute yourself, star six, and just jump in. Hey, Gus, this is Matt. I'm uh, on the call now. Hey, Matt. How is everyone doing tonight? Good. Glad you can make it. Um, I, I heard, I've actually uh, been listening to the call for the past 45 minutes. I've just been at work and not able to physically oh, speak. Gotcha. So. All right. I'll let you and JC take it from here then. Hey, Matt. Hey, JC. How are you doing? I'm all right. It's been a long day, but uh, here we are. Um, so I just wanted to answer, uh, make a comment real quick about uh, the gentleman from Hawaii, uh, about homeowners associations. Homeowners associations, along with condominiums, are they are the devil in disguise. Um, when you look on the deed for a property that belongs to a homeowners association or a condominium, you will see in the property description that that the description that the property itself is subject to the conditions and the terms of the homeowners association. So when you accept the deed and you give consideration for the property, you are part of the property that you are uh, receiving title to is the restrictions that the homeowners association put out. So I just wanted to, you know, say that, you know, it's kind of the reason why whenever you go to buy a property, you should really do a title search on the property before you buy it. And that's why whenever you go to buy a property, um, even if you are in a contract to buy that property, most states, I can't speak for all states. I know in my state, this is the case. You are able to back out of that contract to purchase the property if the title search reveals something that you don't like. Like, oh, I, uh, I, I was buying 123 Main Street. I didn't know it was part of a homeowners association. And there's a rule in that homeowners association that, that says, uh, you know, you can't ever use the toilet to, you know, to defecate. You can only, you know, urinate. Well, I'm not. But who, who would want to ever buy a property with that restriction on it? You'd be out of your mind unless, you know, you never defecated. Um, it, it's an extreme example, but, it, you know, sometimes you have to be extreme. And, and when you buy a property that is part of a homeowners association, they can put any restriction on that property that they want, and you are agreeing to it. And, and if you don't, if you accept the property, you've agreed to it. And if you don't say right then and there, 
when you are accepting the property that you do not agree to those terms, it, it, there's nothing you can do about it. However, it's a catch-22. If you tell them uh, that you don't agree to those terms, they're not going to let you purchase the property. So my advice is to just stay away from homeowners associations and condos unless, you know, you're retired. Homeowners associations yeah. are really for people who, who want to live in a gated community and they just want to be, you know, away from everybody else. And, you know. Thanks a lot, Matt. Stay away. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and the soonest opportunity, I'm definitely selling the property because um it was you know the it's what the woman wanted. So, you know, I uh I bowed down to her wishes, but um it's definitely uh, well, I bet you if you go pull your deed, you go look in the property description on your deed, and it'll it'll it it should. Um, I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure well, how Hawaii works, but it should tell you right there in the property description. It should say like you know lot number one and then it should list like here's the declaration of a homeowners association and here's the uh the book and page that it was recorded in the land right right actually actually the property in questions at, at florida right now but um or whatever whatever state yeah whatever state. right but but here, here's here's the interesting thing is that when i uh you know when we went through the whole signing process and my god i must have signed literally 30 documents I say that term loosely that I signed because um, basically what I put on the signature line was C signature page. And um, that's all that's there. If you understand what I'm saying. Um, I think I do. Uh, so anytime that you signed a document, you signed the signature page and did you actually sign the signature page? Um, I have a signature page, correct. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I can't, I can't really speak to whether or not that, you know, invalidates the document or not. Like JC said earlier, um, I deal mostly on the, the legal and the statute side of things. Uh, the aspect of my job where I'm dealing with law um, mostly has to do with very technical aspects of the law, um, and that has to do with, you know, um, the execution, you know, were documents executed correctly, or um, that's mostly where I deal with issues of law with title it's when it's very technical things but a lot of the times i'm dealing mostly in legal and statute stuff but yeah like G jc was saying the reason why you want to do a title is to find out what the title looks like and just to um i want to just expound on what jc gave it the definition for a good uh, clear title um just because someone has a claim on the property does not necessarily mean that the title is um, is not a good clear title um, there's things when you're dealing with titles they're called exceptions um, and exceptions to title 
are in nine out of ten states, most states are set very specifically by law, and those exceptions to the title are things like utility easements, um, rights of way, um, sewer easements, uh, things of that nature. Um, those uh, types of documents and, and encumbrances against title are usually accepted uh, as accepted from uh, being considered um, a defect on the title, uh, a negative on the title. Um, anything that is on the title to a property that is a benefit to the property is it cannot be considered to uh, be bad title. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Is this, uh, JC, do you understand what I'm saying by that? Like uh, a benefit can't be a utility easement, a property having um, a right to use a well. Say your property doesn't have a well, but the property next door has a well and you have the right to have a, water, a pipe going from your property to the other property for a well, well that's a benefit. That, that cannot be considered um, a negative on the title. Now, the person, say uh, your neighbor, whose well you have, you know, the pipe going onto, their property is now subject to you're using their well. Now, even though they're, you have a claim to their property, but all, um, and your claim to their property is the use of the well, yeah, their yeah. property is not, it's not considered a, um, a bad title against their property because you have a claim to use their property for a well. Do you know what I'm saying? JC, go ahead. Jump in here. I'm going to kind of clear this up a, a little bit. And uh, it's basically like you can have clear title, and out west this is used way more than it is out east. But just because you have clear title um, doesn't mean that you own the right to the resources. Okay? Yes. So um, you can actually have clear property and somebody else, like a really good example of this is the fracking company. Uh, fracking companies basically contract with people to frack and extract natural gas from the land, but they don't have any right to the title. But the people who are living on those properties are giving up the right to the resource of the natural gas that the companies are fracking for, okay? So like out west, if you go um, west of the Mississippi, uh, so e east of the Mississippi, the way the water rights work is basically first come, first serve. So whoever gets the water first has the right to use that water. It, when you go west of the Mississippi, property rights uh, or water rights on your property work very, very differently. 
So, for instance, in New Mexico, you can buy clear title to a property, but yet if you're going to dig a well in New Mexico um, because of Indian treaties and this and that, like, you can dig the well, you can tap the well, you can have water coming up, being pumped up from the well, but the Indians will come and put a meter on that, even though you did all of the work, because they have the property rights to the water. But they don't have the property rights to your property. They, they don't have any titling rights to the title of your property. So, so in, in um, you know, property rights and titling, there's basically, you know, you have title to land, and then separate from that, you can you can uh, basically sell off the rights to the resources of that land, but that does not affect your title to the land itself. Absolutely correct. In my state, uh, which is Connecticut, um, that um, like mineral rights. Uh, rights of others to uh, streams or rivers or ponds or any type of water courseway, those are automatically um, put in our title policies. I don't I like that's just an automatic and they just automatically go in uh, because we it just over the years those types of things when you don't just automatically put those things in your title policies. We've it's come back to bite title searchers in the butt, and you know. Um, but when one of the main reasons, another reason why we'd want to do a title search is, you want to know if the person you're buying the property from, who do, do who do they owe money to, that the people they owe money to might be making claim to their property. You know. Uh, and I would just like to point this out. Uh, I'd like to say this. Um, banks give loans. And I, yeah, yada, yada. We can debate about the whole do they actually loan money thing. With the Banks loan the consideration that you are going to give the person to buy if you're, you know, getting a loan from a bank. Then the property owner gives a mortgage to the bank. Okay, as, and that's collateral. Basically, a mortgage is a contract between two parties that serves as collateral for the note. And it basically says that, hey, you're going to pay us. This is how much it is. If you don't agree to the terms of this contract, we're taking the collateral. It, it's like getting a foreclosure on a mortgage is like getting your car repossessed, except it's a little bit more technical and a little bit more involved. Well, and another thing to add to that is that not all states have mortgages, and a mortgage is quite literally a death pledge. It comes yes. from the root word like morgue, like a morgue, a mortuary. So, yeah. And a, de a deed yeah. of trust and a mortgage, though they are not the same thing, in many ways um, – accomplish the same 
things um, when yeah. we're talking about uh, an instrument that's recorded on the land records. And, and there I'll are differences. There's subtle differences. And I don't, with my job, I don't deal with the uh, deeds of trusts um, uh, that act like, um, you know, a mortgage. Uh, we don't really deal with that in Connecticut. It's very, very rare. I deal with it seldomly in New Hampshire because I also do searches in New Hampshire. But um, so I don't really have a lot of knowledge when it comes to deeds of trust. Uh, okay, That's basically so what I know from my basic training. So, yeah, basically a deed of trust. So there are states that you know, from the statutory instruments of the state, they either accept a deed of trust or a mortgage. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean that if a state is a mortgage state that they will never accept a deed of trust into the records. And if it's a deed of trust state, they're never going to accept the mortgage into the records. But generally, you have deed of trust states and you have mortgage states, and they act very, very similar in nature. So so it's kind of like what we talk about with courts, like, you know, every state kind of names their magistrate court or their Neas Prius court something, and then they name their court of records something else. And a lot of states might have two tiers to a court of record. They might have like a district court and then a superior court. Um, so... Basically, you know, the mortgage and the deed of trust is just kind of just a difference in the name, but for all practical purposes, they're the same thing. Hey, what a sweat equity claim, cloud a title? Sweat equity claim, cloud title. Um, yes and no. If you don't, if there's nothing on the land records, um, the uh, title, you find the title to property. Uh, the title to property is evidenced by the county registry of deeds or the land records. And also it's evidenced by the court records as well in most states. Um, so if you're being foreclosed on and, and, you've, and you've got a claim of equity, you need to make that claim of equity. Now, part of your claim is already evidenced if you, by the land records if you have a deed in your name. You know, if you're the holder of, of the, you know, if you're the grantee of that deed, that's partly evidence that you have, you know, that you have the right to claim the equity. But having the right to claim the equity and actually claiming the equity are not the same thing. Um, but, but, in terms of in terms of claiming the equity, putting something on the land records, I've never seen that in my state. But well, I, one, uh, one that that could be accomplished, and I know, like in in my state. So, uh, say you're a contractor and you're going to do uh, sweat labor on somebody's property, you can go down. Say they don't have all of the money up front you can go down with them and basically put a mechanics lien on the property yep. in which they agree to. So say somebody has a property and they, 
got to put $30,000 worth of renovation into it before they can sell it. And they get with the contractor, and the contractor says, okay, yeah, I'll do the $30,000 worth of uh, renovations, but you're going to go down with me to the Registry of Deeds, and you're going to sign that we agree that there is a mechanics lien on your property so that whenever you sell the property, I'm going to get my $30,000 first. Yeah, mechanics liens are no joke. Folks, if you ever get somebody to file a mechanics lien on you, that's that's you know, uh, mechan- they do not have to go to court to file a mechanics lien on your property. It's it's one of the few exceptions where you you know um, to actually file a lien against the property and against the title. Um, mechanics lien, they don't have to, because it's it's way it's viewed, at least in my state, and it's most likely the same way um, in other states, although I encourage you to look up these laws yourself. Um, It's viewed as that company has provided an improvement or a benefit to the land um, and thus increased the value of the property, which also increases tax revenue, increases, you know, so they have the right to get paid first, you know, and they uh, foreclosing of a um a mechanics lien is uh that's that's um that's that's not fun um i can't really get into too much detail about that uh it's very complicated but um i I have gone through mechanic lien processes What I will say is that when you go for a mechanics lien, especially if you don't go before the project with the property owner, you better uh, cross your T's and dot your I's because they will arrest you if if you're doing something that they deem to be fraudulent. Absolutely, and the reason why they will arrest you because they do not have to go to court because it's 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 they're the law is allowing it's it's making the assumption by the law that these that they're acting in honor and good faith by filing this lien and it has to be filed quickly mechanics lien is a, it's a it's a time sensitive thing you got to get that on there quick quick as quick as possible to let everybody know hey nothing's happening on this property until i get paid yeah and in most states um, and it varies from state to state, uh, but depending on which state that you live in, it will either be 30 days to 90 days after the last service was performed on the property. Um, and that service could simply be, you know, putting in, and this is actually a, a live case that I've worked on, but they just went and put in um, the screens uh to to storm windows and that was about four months after uh the problem had started and just because they went and put those screens in on the storm windows it started the process all over again so that they could move on the mechanics lane on that uh the, the thing about being time time sensitive 
is uh, on a mechanics lien. Is there might be more than one contractor working on that house. There might be a painter, a drywaller, an electrician, and so uh, you don't want to be the twelfth, you know, fifteenth guy with a lien on that property because you might not get paid. So it, it is time. First time, first serve. That's right. First in time. Yeah, first in time, first in line. And another thing that uh, I wish for for Matt to kind of describe, because even though the gentleman who just spoke about the cloud on the title for equity labor, um, I would imagine that most people listening to the call might not know what a clouded title is. And so, Matt, if you wish to explain that, um, the, what a clouded title is, like what it means for a title to, to be clouded or have a cloud on it. Okay, clouded title uh, um, could also be referred to as a defective title. It is essentially a title in which there is an issue um, that cannot be settled by writing a check. Um, okay, this is okay. Um, no, that's not, that's a bad way to explain it. Hold on, folks. Uh, this is so a, a clouded title or defective title is when there is a mistake in either the chain of title, meaning um, person A giving it to person B, giving it to person C, giving it to person D. There's a deed missing somewhere. All of a sudden, you know, some random person shows up in, in the chain of title of the deeds, giving out a piece of the property. They had no interest. That could be a defective title. Um, when there is a property description that is incorrect, uh, that is a clouded title. Um, there's so many different aspects, so many different things that can make a clouded title. Um, any, basically, any title that is not a clean title um, where all of the issues have been resolved, any judgment liens have been released, uh, paid off, mortgages have been paid off. Um, is a clouded title. Um, if you have a question about that title, it's um, most likely because there's some type of defect. Um, I'm going to give you an example of a clouded title right here. I'm currently in the middle of doing a title search for the town of Darien here in Connecticut. There's an entire private road where about 50 years ago, all of the abutters of the properties along that private road granted to the town a sewer use easement for underneath the road. But the problem was, is none of the abutters had the right to the road. They only had the right to egress and ingress the road, come in and out, drive in and out of it, go to your house, go, and go to the rest. They didn't actually own the road. The road was owned by the development company. 
So for the past 50 years, the town has had a sewer use pipe underneath that private road. It's been charging the owners of that, uh, the abutters of that private road, a fee for the sewer use. But how, how can they do that legally? The owners of the property did not have the right to grant the town the easement, the sewer easement. So lawfully and legally, the town has no right to that road. Their easement is unlawful and it's illegal. That is a clouded title. Every single property on that street has a clouded title. How do you fix that? You fix that with a lot of affidavits and a lot of time and a lot of money. Another reason why I do title searches is why it's very important that you have to check every name, every person who, who has a claim on a property. Now, how that works is um, properties registered, um, you know, deeds, mortgages, these types of instruments are registered at a county registry of deeds, or in some states, it's by town. My state, it's by town. We're small enough, but most states, it's by county. And these instruments are put into the record, and they're indexed. And in the index, the index contains, there's two halves to the index. There's the grantor index, in other words, the people giving out interest in right to a property. Then there's the grantee index, the people receiving interest to the property. And you are required to go and look up every single name in a some states 30, some states 40. I think there might be one or two states where it's a full 60 years. Um, you have to look at every single name and every single reasonable variant spelling of that name. If there's Rodriguez and it's spelled with a G, you have to look up Rodriguez with a Q or a Z at the end instead of an S, that kind of thing. Um, um, and you have to run every name. You have to look at every single document that has that person's name on it, whether they, they're giving something out or they're receiving something. If, if that person owns, say, 123 Main Street and they're giving out a right-of-way for their next-door neighbor to, um, you know, use, uh, you know, dump some compost or just giving them a right-of-way, we'll just say a right-of-way, you have to go then look at that neighbor. Go, go look at the neighbor's property. Go make sure the right of way is, is good. There's, you have every tiny little document. You have to go and open up every book. You have to read every sentence. You have to make sure that the property description matches. Um, like JC said, you have to cross your T's, dot your I's, and dot your lowercase j's. Um, And I'd just like I'm to gonna... uh, interject here real quick. Um, a situation that Matt was talking about, and I've worked with people on development of, of uh, subdivisions 
and they absolutely, it's the developer's job to uh, at least, like, uh, make the road. The road's typically their property. At some point in time, they'll hand it over to the county or the city so that they can start paving it. Um, but in a situation like Matt was talking about where there's a whole division and every property in that division has a clouded title because of a very, very small mistake that was overlooked years and years ago. Like I know that most of the time we don't speak real highly of attorneys um, on this show, but for situations like that, I personally believe that attorneys do a very good job. Like, I, I believe that that is the aspect of law that attorneys should be taken care of because that's not an aspect that is very easily worked out. That's not something where you can go into court and say, that man or that woman did me wrong and this is the compensation I require. It's not something where you can go into court and say, you know, who's the man or woman bringing a charge against me? It is not a very easy part of the law to take care of. It's very, very complex. It's very, very intricate. And it has to do with property and property records that, that really are required to be straightened out. And that is a form of litigation that I believe our attorneys are great for that job. Just like I believe attorneys are great in the corporate world, in the banking world, um, you know, writing uh, statutory contracts between one corporation and another, like corporate attorneys. Um, you know, I have no problem with attorneys doing that job. That's the original job that they kind of had. It's only been within the past hundred years that attorneys have been branching out of that type of law and really trying to get into the personal injury law, into the family court law, into the criminal defense law or the prosecution law or into these various different forms of law that the legal society has kind of created uh, where, you know, 150 years ago it would have been a man-on-man -man action or a man-on-woman action. And, uh, you know, speaking of, to Eric's uh, the trial by jury, and when I was going through that big case law, um, well, actually, it wasn't even a big case law. This case law will actually be on the video. And it talks about how the legislature more or less tried to expand the jurisdiction of the judiciary, and the judiciary actually turned it down and said that it was unconstitutional because, and it's pretty clear if you actually know what you're reading, but when there's a trial by jury, the state has absolutely no jurisdiction over it. So it's when the state really tries to force people into their jurisdiction and create all of these imaginary forms of law that really should be dealt with more 
like personal issues and between man and man and woman and man and woman and woman, where I think that, you know, attorneys should pretty much try and start getting out of, you know, whether the people kick them out or they just choose to leave. But in very complex issues, like what he was talking about with the titles of uh, a subdivision, this is this is definitely an area where it's good to have an attorney take care of all of that process. Because if each one of those individuals in that subdivision tried to take care of it on their own, the court would have a very big uh, cluster of confusion of litigation. And things would get really, really messy, and neighbor would turn against neighbor because everybody would feel like they were entitled to more than the other. And, you know, I, I really think in that kind of situation, they should just let it go, let the attorney take care of it, and then just accept the results because they still have the property, and they're going to have the property at the end. You know, it's just going to be a corrected title. It's going to be a clear title. Yeah, it's how do you how do you uncloud the title? How how do we fix this? How do we make this right? And they'll do it in one of two ways. They'll either do it through eminent domain court action, uh, or they'll do it through like a certificate of condemnation or something. But the problem is, is they're going to have to do it with the uh, the corporation and not the homeowners. But um, and I would add this that um, if you have an issue concerning land and title and you choose to consult a lawyer, not all lawyers are equal when it comes to title searching. All lawyers are trained in it. It's something that they go through in law school, but it is such a highly specialized field of law that, and so technical that you, you, you miss the littlest thing and you can find yourself giving away your property. You know, that's an extreme example, but so I would recommend if you choose to go that route to seek a man or woman whose sole job is land in real estate. Don't consult with anyone else. Only that that's their job. And, and that kind of for anything that you have to get an attorney for um, in any type of dealings, attorneys are very, very specialized. Uh, very rarely, if you go the route of an attorney, should you go the route where you're getting an attorney who does uh, personal injury, criminal defense, marriage, federal. Like, if an attorney is advertising the practice of all those different forms of law, even though they are licensed to do that, they, yeah, they, they probably will not do a very good job um, because there are so many regulations that attorneys have to follow in each one of those areas. And it's, yeah, good attorneys are specialized. So, but getting back to kind of the original thing that Matt and myself were supposed to talk about and 
kind of what we were talking about last week when it got choppy and this was going on and that was going on. Uh, do you want to go ahead and start with, uh, you know, explaining what a quick claim deed is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so a quick claim deed is almost exactly what it sounds. You are quitting your claim to property, whatever that property is as it's described in the deed. Now, when you are quitting it, you are quitting the claim to the property at that moment, the way the title exists at that moment, and you are providing no warranty and that's it. It's basically, hey, I'm giving this, you're taking it as is. You can't sue me. You doesn't, oh well, doesn't matter how messed up the title is. Because I'm quitting my claim to this and you're picking up the claim the way it is. It's almost as if, hey, you know what? I've got a gold mine. I don't want this gold. I don't want to use this gold mine anymore. Oh, hey, Bob. Bob, you want to use my gold mine now? I'm quitting my claim to this gold mine. Hey, I'll pick that gold mine up right now. So, okay, cool. Are you sure? Cool. All right. Hey, Matt, there's no more gold in here. Hey, that's not my problem. Hey, I quit it, man. You picked it up. Oh, well. Now, that's a quick claim deed. A warranty deed, it's right in the name. A warrant, a warranty deed. And in the language of a warranty deed, it will say warrant and defend. Warrant is, well, we all know what a warrant is, correct? Do we all know what a warrant is here? All right, so protector, defender, uh, in the noun form from the old Norse French warrant, defender, surety, pledge, justify, evidence. So when you have a warranty deed and you are warrant and defending it, the grantor of the property, the seller, is saying, this title is clear. There is no, there should be no adverse effects in this title except as what is specifically stated in this deed, except for is ex explicitly stated here. Um, and if anything comes back, if anything comes back to bite you, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be the one that's going to stand up and I'm responsible. That's the, the long and skinny of it. That's, it's, it's not that complicated, but it's how people use these things that become complicated. And can easily screw things up. And one thing that I just wish to throw in there about a general warranty deed, and I actually found this out, and it actually makes a lot of sense to me, but I found this out just this past week. Uh, a general warranty deed, if somebody sells a general warranty deed and they do not have clear title to it, so basically they sold property that wasn't theirs, then they're completely liable, but they're liable to the buyer, to the grantor of the property. They are not liable uh, to defend it for the grantor. 
So, so the original uh, title holder would get the property back, and then it would be the grantor's job or the buyer's job to go after the seller for making um, a sell in bad faith that they didn't have title to. Yep, and I've seen this before. Um, uh, um, come across this where typically where you will see this the most is when someone buys a property from someone or a family member quit claims a, a property to someone or or inherit it because somebody dies and there's a previous mortgage from the previous owner that was not released and was not discharged or a deed of trust um you know that was not released or discharged and all of a sudden that mortgage is now getting foreclosed on and you here you are you think you have free and clear title and all of a sudden wait a second you mean i'm losing my house because the guy who owned this before me didn't pay the mortgage off when he should have and now i'm losing my house and and unfortunately what happens is yes they for they foreclose on you now the banks uh, typically in that case the law they try to work with the people who are in the home and they basically just turn around and kind of sell it right back. Um, but that's, that's messy when that happens. Um, but a quick claim deed, how, here, here's a, here's an example of the usage of a quick claim deed and a warranty deed. So, um, you receive property one, two, three main street. It is four acres. And you want to take a little piece, so, uh, you know, one acre or two acres. We'll just say two acres, split it in half, two acres. And you want to give two acres to your son. So you would quit claim to your son two acres of the property with a new description. That's one example. You would not normally need, you don't, most states, got to check with your laws, and I, and I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again just in case it got choppy last week. Most states have what is called a marketable title act or a, a or equitable title act. It's called something like that. My state, it's the marketable title act. I know North Carolina, it's the, more, uh, the marketable title act. Um, and that establishes the standards of what a clean title is and what a clean title is not. I recommend highly that you read those. And it's not typically too long. Um, another example of a quick claim deed usage along with the warranty deed is, say you get the property from, you, you buy a property, it's lot A on map one, two, three. And then you decide to have your own survey come in. You know, it's the survey that you have for your property map is 50 years old. You're like, you know what, I want a new survey. You know, and then we've had other improvements done to the property and stuff. And a surveyor comes in and provides you with a new surveyor with a new plat map or, um, 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 or whatever your state's standard is for what can be considered a, a, a map to be used for a property description. And then you, so now you have a new property description for the property that you bought and you go to sell the property. Well, when you receive the interest in that property, you receive the interest under warranty deed, under 
the descript the original description. But now you have a new property description as well. So what you would do is you would provide a warranty deed to the new owner under the original description, and then you would immediately quit claim to the new owner the property under the new description because you are only you should only be willing to warrant and defend the original you know that which you has already been warranted and defended in past. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a little bit too technical here, uh, some of this stuff, but just cut me off, JC. <laughs> okay. I'm just, because I just, people get, I see it all the time. So people just get carried away with quick name deeds. They just. To keep it really, really simple, a quick claim deed is exactly the way it sounds. You're quitting the claim to the property, whether you have any interest in it or not. Quick claim deeds are also like uh, the difference between a mortgage and a deed of trust. So um, basically, a quick claim deed is also known as a quiet title. Okay, so if you get a quick claim deed, you have quiet title or quiet deed, which basically means that it has no voice, it has no, um, you know, teeth, as, as you could say. A general warranty deed is somebody basically selling and generally warranting that, hey, if there's anything that clouds the title, if there's anything that comes up after this, I'm going to defend it. But they have to have clear title to that. Now, we're going to move into something else, which was a question that I saw come up on on the Internet um, on Thursday when we were talking about this. And somebody asked what a specialty, like a special warranty deed is. And so a special warranty deed is more or less um, when they're only going to do a warranty on A, B, or C, like you know, I'm only going to do a warranty saying that all the property taxes have been paid off and that I'm up to date on all the utility services and that to the best of my knowledge, there's no lien on the title. But if there are any other issues after that, I, I can't guarantee you. You know what I mean? So, so if there's anything else to come up, um, beyond those three things, then then that's not in the warranty because it's special. It's not generalized. So yes. these are the and uh, uh, special warranty deeds. Um, nine out of ten times, I see them are when a a bank receives um, ownership of the property through foreclosure and they're selling it to a new owner. They're saying exactly what you said. I'm only we're only guaranteeing this we're not nothing back there just this sorry uh, you were saying yeah and that actually brings up a really good point um with the special warranty deed going through the bank is because typically and this is not the way that it used to work but of course everybody especially since 2008 basically everybody knows that 
the foreclosures are more or less fraudulent because none of the banks hold on to the original mortgage. They bundle them up and sell them on Wall Street. So for them to go back and foreclose on the house actually exposes them to huge legal and lawful liability. They feel really comfortable doing this because the corporate structure power and the legislative power and the governing power and the judicial powers of the government are basically kind of working together. So even though they know that this is not kosher, um, you know, with banks, it's all about risk versus reward, okay? So basically they have a team of people lined up to say, okay, well, how many people will actually figure out the law well enough to be able to come back and claim their property? How many of them will have the knowledge and the know-how of how to move through court? How many courts are going to honor that? And how many different states are going to have legislative enactments to make that a more difficult process than it would have been at common law. And so they crunch all of the numbers and then they come up with, well, maybe we're going to lose one out of 150 homes to this. And they go, okay, well, it's still going to be profitable and they're making a monetary business decision. Um, I don't know who's seen uh, one of the last YouTube videos I put up, but it, it has a picture um, saying, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory, it's a business practice, and it's got a guy with a suitcase and tie running on a hamster money wheel. And that's basically how the, how the system is set up. Like, all of these things that conspiracy theorists kind of go off on, the part that they're missing is that everything that they look into as a conspiracy theory is actually just a way of making money. Like the elite have perpetrated a stage and a platform that they can execute these plans that they come up with. Uh, and, and so that really quite technically is a conspiracy, but they do it not for kind of the sinister reasons that people think of in some cases, but they do it more or less as a perpetuating money, power, control, because even though when you get up to the very, very few, like, I mean, only 13 families uh, created and signed into the Federal Reserve as a private incorporated company, and so... You know, most people, even the people who are high up on Wall Street, high up in the government, they are not in that top financial club. And because they're not in that top financial club, they always wish because men, and especially men who seek power and authority and, uh, you know, monetary gain, they are always more or less scheming on how they can get more of that. And so a lot of these things,
things. It's, it's not really a conspiracy theory in the way that most people think it is. Most of the time it's a conspiracy theory in, in a way of business. Okay, so so it's like everybody's heard cases where, uh, you know, for instance, maybe a car company comes out with a Jeep, and they know that this certain type of Jeep has a certain percentage of a chance that uh, the the tire is going to blow the sidewall while people are driving down the interstate. Well, they actually have people who crunch numbers who say, how often is this going to happen? How many times is it going to happen? And, you know, should we do a recall, which is really, really expensive, or do we just wait until people start suing us if they figure out what the problem is? And when when they do start suing us, we just go ahead and offer the family you know, two or three million dollars for a wrongful death and get them to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And, you know, they they sit down and calculate all of this. So maybe it's $200 million to do the recall. And maybe after they do all of their calculations, they look at it and they say, oh, well, we'll probably get about 89 families. You know, this will happen 89 times. And paying them two million dollars a piece, we're going to pay them, you know, 196 million dollars. But that's still four million dollars less than the recall. So we're just going to let this slide unless, you know, so many people get together and somebody actually puts every single case of this happening around the country together and they actually figure it out. And then we're going to have some type of congressional hearing where we'll allow the senators and the Congress people to kind of reprimand us publicly just so that we can, you know, settle the emotions of the people of the country, and then we'll just move on. And it's all business for them. This is just what they do day in and day out. Okay, may I? Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Hello. Um, Hello. I, I took notes. Hi. I took notes. You went, you, I couldn't stop you, John. Actually, you got to take a breather and you got to say any questions before I move on. My opinion only. Uh, you end up running to the well, D. Uh, he was covering a lot of ground simple. there, you know. And others. Well, he didn't feed, he didn't. I entertain the fee, simple and others, and then also common law lean. And that's all I have to say, and it was great talking to you guys. See ya. Okay, hey, wait. What was before the common law lean? Did you say fee simple? Fee simple and other. Yes, fee simple. <laughs> okay, um... Uh, that means you you have the absolute right to do to dispose of it and do with it what you will. It is yours, absolute. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. Do you have a better definition, JC? Um, no, I mean, fee simple is is pretty much yeah. You have the absolute right, and typically you are not going to get a property that you can hold in fee simple. If you 
live in a city, <coughs> a very large county, uh, some type of subdivision, uh, most fee simple uh, deeds and property are held in rural farming areas like, uh, for instance, down here where I'm at, if you go 20 minutes outside of town, there are a lot of people who have, uh, you know, 20, 30 acres of personal land, and then they have a, a dwelling on it. And most of those people will actually call the land far, like farm use, even if it's not for farm use, and that's just for uh, county property tax records. Uh, but typically those people are going to hold that in fact simple. Um, so, but fee simple is not a lodial title, and uh, you're still subject to certain things, for instance, county tax taxes. So, and then... Um, the next question, I guess, is a common law lien. Would that be correct? Hey, JC, yeah, I believe that was it. Hey, uh, just a heads up, we're at, we're past the two-hour mark, so whenever you guys want to wrap it up. So, okay. Um, <clears throat> Matt, do you have anything, like, and I'm actually just kind of curious, have you ever seen a common law lien on a property? A common law lien on the property. Hmm. That's a curious question. Because in my opinion, land records could be probably the only thing in common law that is in writing. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, uh, but in terms of a common law lien, the best thing that I could say is um, uh, just um, is against in the city of Stanford, they have an entire book that they just file um, the claims of people against the city. And that's probably the best way that I can I've seen it because it's uh, most of these claims are a piece of paper that's just like I was driving down the road and most of them are potholes and there was a giant pothole and I did everything I could to avoid it but I couldn't and it ruined my car you owe me money um you know and they're written to like the man and woman in charge of the department you know, that's probably the closest thing to a common law lien I've seen. Um, I, um, uh, um, other than that, no. I will say this. One time I ran into um, a crazy Montana Freeman sovereign citizen guy who uh, filled a, a book and a half of just documents. and must have cost him hundreds of dollars to record that, all that stuff. It was ridiculous. Don't ever do that stuff, folks. Don't record that stuff on the, on the land records. That, that's actually probably another thing to bring up is that typically when you're recording a document in county recorder's office or registry of deeds, there's a base charge, like, you know, it costs $10 to record this document, and they'll record up to you know, five or six pages, and then after that first five or six pages, 
charging you by the page to record um, those documents. So um, I, I believe, and ma'am, are you still on so I can kind of get a little more clarification on, a, on the common law lien? Because, uh, I mean, I, I do agree with, <laughs> with Matt, Matt's assessment, and that would probably be one form of a common law lien. Hello? Hey, Cheyenne, are you still here? Hit star six if, uh, if you're talking, because we can't hear you. Okay. Hey, that works. Hi, guys. Uh, how are you doing, Cheyenne? Okay. Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Okay, back to, back to the McKinney's lien and, and the uh, common law lien. It's a night and day difference, in my opinion, only. A McKinney's lien can only be held for a statute time. Um, and they can squash that in the courts. I've been down that road. I've done it. I'm going to be soon doing a common law lien. I'll let you know if it works or if it doesn't work. But I'm going to at least give it a try. And I'll mute. So give me the, actually, before I mute, give, you already told me about the um, McKinney's lien. And, and say what you have to camp. say as far as common law lien. And I know Gus wants to shut down the call. Hi, Gus. See ya. Um, I I would be very careful about filing liens on the land records if you have not gotten a judgment. Some states, it is now a felony to do so. Uh, New Hampshire is one of them because people just start filing crazy crap on the land records that that make title just muddy the whole works so just be just I, I would be very careful on what you record on the land records so and i would uh second what, what matt is saying so instead of filing a full lien because to file a lien the proper way is to have a judgment what you would do before getting a judgment would um, be to file a notice of lien. So basically, hey, notice there's a lien coming, but you're still going to have to move in action to get the lien in force. And um, a mechanics lien is basically the legislature's way of codifying uh, common law equitable, uh, like sweat equity, lien, which somebody asked about earlier. Um, <clears throat> there's also, and I can't think about it right off the top of my head, but there's another lien that can be filed. Again, it's a statutory instrument, but it also kind of mirrors the common law uh, idea of lien. So if you're going to move for filing a common law lien, what you would do or what I would do, and of course this isn't legal advice, this is just my opinions on law, um, 
and my beliefs, but I would file a notice of lien. Typically, when you file a notice of lien, you're going to follow that up with an actual suit. When you file a notice of lien or a lien itself, it is a lot like filing a suit, and a lot of people don't know this, but you have to have it served on the other party within a certain period of time. Um, this differs from state to state. So it's not so good that you just file it because if you don't serve it, um, and this is what they do in some states is they'll just let people file it because most people don't know the rest of the procedure. And then when, they're, when they haven't gotten the return service in a certain amount of time, boom, it's gone. They don't really need to do anything about it. So as soon as you file a notice of lien, um, you're going to get some type of answer back on that notice of lien. And when you get the answer back, that should give you all of the information to set up suit. And pretty, you know, like once you start the process, you should start moving on it, boom, 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 boom. So when you get their answer back from the notice of lien, it should clear up any other questions that you may or may not have had on the reason of filing the lien. And that should also clear up any other questions for the facts that you wish uh, to be presented in the suit and the remedy of, of the suit. And then you're going to be able to go through because um, a lien like that is not something that necessarily requires a jury trial. So if you have all of the facts put together and you have a certain case put together, um, like, for instance, if they demur and they basically say, hey, they agree to all of your facts and, and the facts you presented them with were completely unlawful, uh, you could just move for a judgment because there's no question of, of fact. It's just a question of law. And this is where, you know, the actual way that a jury trial works today is in kind of support of saving the court time and resources is because a jury can't decide questions of law. They can only decide questions of fact. So then you can move it and say, hey, the, all of the questions of facts have been answered. Here are the facts. And now I'm moving for final judgment. And once you get the final judgment, you can turn the notice of lien into an actual lien. You can do it the common law way or you can do it the statutory way. Um, it doesn't really matter. And once you have the actual lien, you can, um, you can put an execution on the lien if the opposing party doesn't do something to satisfy the debt. Does that make sense? Makes sense. And if your intention is to file a lien upon property, make sure that you are serving all of the owners of that property. 
even if it's only you're technically only suing one of them, you have to serve all of the owners of the property because you're looking to place a lien upon their property. And they have the right to be able to settle that. Yeah, they all have a vested interest in it. Sorry, JC. Absolutely correct on that. Like, uh, even if you just have an issue with one individual that owns the property or is a partial owner, for instance, uh, most property houses and such are owned by man and wife. Like, if they're married, they're co-owners. So it is you don't just serve the husband if that's who you're going after. You also serve the wife. That's not necessarily to say that you have to sue the wife, but she must be served. Must The other parties must have notice. And you would do that by going down to first the county tax assessors, looking up the property address, finding out, then that's where you'll get your most recent deed reference, and then you start from there, and you find, you get the current owner, get the property description, but uh, that, you know, that's where you kind of get into lawyerly stuff, because who knows if that current property description is correct, and uh, that's, we can say that for a different night. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I, uh, I appreciate right, it. Yeah, thanks for being with us. I'm, I'm always on the WhatsApp group, and you can always, um, you know, ask questions. And if it takes me more than a sentence to answer it, I'll uh, talk to you privately. So. And that Thank actually you, brings up a really good point. Uh, when you go down to the Registry of Deeds, they only have it filed under the property description. You cannot take down an address to the Registry of Deeds and expect them to find the documentation. It doesn't nope. work. It's under you, and you search underneath the owner. You search underneath names, but we follow the property. It's it's weird. Once you get it, you got to do it a couple times to to understand that statement. But um, yeah. <clears throat> The uh, the land records are really cool. I know in New Hampshire, when I was looking through them, they go back, I think, into the early 1800s. Oh, there's there's some funky stuff. You can go see, you can read deeds, uh, and I've I've read them here in Connecticut, where um, you know here's the, the Indian chief eating, you know, what amounts to be two towns worth of land for you know here's you know some beads and some bunch of different stuff you know. <laughs> Wow. Uh, like you're like whoa, like it's from seventeen. Uh, I forget how what year that was, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, amazing it's, it's what fun. you find in in the archives. You know, whether it's at the Secretary of State's office or at the land records. You know, when you're going through the archives, looking at stuff, it's it's amazing the stuff that you run across. Mm-hmm. And the smell. You just walk in there; it has a smell, kind of like like the uh, yeah. Church's, uh, your church's old library, you know, you walk into your church and the, you know that library, that study, it just has that smell. It's just oh, it's weird. Yep. I'm weird about that. Sorry. So what I hey, we what need I, uh, we we need to wrap things up. Uh, it's way past that two hour mark that I try to keep the shows at, and I really appreciate you being with us, Matt and JC. Thanks for everything. Um, 
Sean, I'm sure, is tainting right now and enjoying his evening. And uh, I don't know if anybody's got any last words. I'm going to hold off for a second before I kill the call. And we're going to be back here on Saturday, and Sean's going to lead us in Bible study then. And JC will fill in uh, on some legal stuff, well, lawful stuff, actually. And uh, we'll be back Tuesday with a health call. Tomorrow night we're going to be on Angela's call. So if anybody has any uh, last things, last last words before we wrap it up, now's the time. Yeah, Shaman um, texted me. He actually said that he wasn't feeling very well, and he he wished for me to express uh, salutations to everybody. Um, so it kind of sounded like he was coming down with the cold or something this evening. So, um, but I, I still believe that the Saturday is on, and we will we will see you guys then. Hopefully, everybody joins in for tomorrow night's show with Angela, and I'm really looking forward to it. I know Shaman is too, and 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 so so is Gus. And once again, another shout out for uh, you know Matt Mark. Matt, because not only did he come on three times now <laughs> to to work on this issue, but you know, just out of his own care and generosity and loving heart, he actually went back and did a property search and a title search on the properties connected with the uh, Ramo case. So. We're very appreciative of that. He's he's forwarded all of the information, and there was one discrepancy that was pointed out. And of course, uh, I wasn't that <clears throat> one little part. Um, so and and uh, you know the members of the Ramo family were actually kind of questioning it before it came, but now we have complete confidence that Matt knows what he's doing and uh we'll move forward to correct that record. Uh th- thanks a lot, Matt. Hey awesome. you welcome. Hope to You're see welcome. Hope to see you guys all tomorrow night on Angela's call. I just put the uh the talk show information into the chat group. So you know the link for uh, her show, three nine nine zero four and we'll be there tomorrow night, nine PM Eastern, six PM Pacific. And you all have a great night. Uh, good night, everybody. Good night, JC. Thanks for everything, man. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.